Welcome back to the Zero Weakness Podcast, where we talk about how to be a better lifter, how to be a better coach, and everything in between. Make sure you subscribe and enjoy. Sweet. Let's go. Welcome back to another episode of the Zero Podcast. Uh, thanks to everyone for your feedback on our last week's episode. We fixed up a few things, got the mic out of CJ's face, got the mic out of Bridget's face. Um, but yeah, we've had some uh, really good feedback on the episode, um, which is really good. So once again, just keep continuing to share it around, like, subscribe, do all that jazz. But um, no, that's it. Really good. Sweet. Yeah. Welcome back. Remember, we're sponsored by Establishment Coffee Co. Head to their website. Uh, use the code 025, 25% off and free shipping. Um, but yeah, we had a, an enormous amount of great feedback on the first episode. Thank you so much. Keep uh, giving us a five-star rating. That helps get the, uh, the podcast and the content out there. We've got some exciting things happening for the podcast. James has lined up some, some guests. So who have we got on first? Uh, first up, we've got 13-year uh, year NRL veteran Alex Glenn, captain of the Brisbane Broncos. He'll be coming on this Friday, so that's going to be a cool episode to uh, yeah, chat, sit down and chat with a pro athlete. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so if you hear this before we record that next episode, uh, actually, you won't hear this. We'll, we'll put a question and answer box to um, to hear what you want to know about Alex. Um, so we'll chuck that up on the Instagram and you'll be able to ask some questions and we'll get some interaction happening there, but that's really exciting. Um, but thought thought I might start with a bit of a, a Zero update, give you an update as to what's what's happening in the world of Zero. So we've got the new gym opening. We're just uh, delayed a little bit because of some building works happening there, uh, but it's looking to be opening in the middle of March. So we're going to announce the opening date, uh, hopefully Monday next week. So that's really excited. We've got all the equipment ready to go. We're bringing the same caliber of uh, gym that we have in all the other locations um, and we've just started ordering all the equipment for, or we have ordered all the equipment for zero number five. So that's going to be exciting to announce a little bit later in the year. Um, I also wanted to just clear the air a little bit about uh, Australian Powerlifting League, the APL, um, and Zero's involvement with that, because there's a, a little bit of cross wire. So I want to publicly announce exactly what's going on there. Um, so for the last maybe year or so, um, APL has been, we've, Zero has been contracting services to the APL, so we've been helping running the show, but we don't actually have um, direction with the Federation. We've just been helping out with some of the administration side of things, and of course, we, we run competitions here at Ground Zero on the Gold Coast. Um, moving forward, though, uh, APL is changing ownership, so APL has been taken over by um, a new party, the, the new president we're going to announce next week, um, and... Zero will then only be involved in the capacity of um, meet directors. So we don't actually run APL. However, the new ownership is going to be attached to someone in Zero. So it gets a little bit tricky, but the two organizations are completely separate. Zero is gyms and coaching. APL is a powerlifting federation separate to Zero completely. There's no conflicts of interest there. They're two completely separate entities. It's just that there are some, some staff that are going to be working across the board. Um, so that'll become a lot clearer when we, um, when when that new uh, ownership is announced, and there'll be some communication to all the members sent out. But it's exciting times. It means that the APL is only going to get bigger and better. Like our Ground Zero APL states in a couple of weeks is completely sold out. 120 lifters. Um, the backup comp for that, uh, another qualifier for nationals, sold out instantly like within three minutes. So um, Paul Thompson at Iron Underground opened up a bunch more spots and they sold out pretty much straight away as well. So APL is getting 
getting pretty massive, especially with um, nationals and then the tested world champs happening here on the Gold Coast. So keep an eye on that federation. Um, that federation is working hard to become uh, the new legitimate drug-tested federation in Australia to kind of replace the debacle that was PA and the... Um, no, I won't say that. Um, and it, say it. No, 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 no. We'll save a politics episode some other time, and you can oh. get me riled up, and I'll, I'll dish it all out. But <laughs> it's a little bit early in the day to be doing that right now. Uh, but that's where we're at. Um, I want to hear from you guys, though. What's, what's been good in the week? You got any clients you want to shout out? What's happening with all of your training? Tell me about it, Bridget. You want to start? Uh, yeah, sure. So I'm currently prepping for nationals yeah. in June, which is very exciting. I'm in deload week at the moment, but I'm very excited to start a new block next week. Everything's going really well. Um, yeah, going to hit some big numbers, I hope. So yeah, we'll see what happens. What do you want to hit? Um, I'm hoping to get a 140 squat, but we will see. That's all, That'll also get me on the board downstairs, which I'm very excited about. Whoa. So yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Exciting. Yeah. What does Coach James think? Are we on track for a 140? 100%. She'll smoke it. Excellent. She's uh, She's been putting in the work for a very long time, so uh, yeah, it'll be cool to see her uh, reap the benefits of her, of her labour. That's pretty wild. What did you start, when you started here, what were your numbers? Um, I was barely squatting 80 kilos for one. And benching deadlift? I wasn't benching at all, and I was deadlifting like 90, I think. And what are your numbers now? Uh, so I'm benching 55, deadlifting 120, squatting 117. That's awesome. Yeah. I still remember uh, wrapping Bridget's knees for her last warm-up at 80 kilos, and now she's doing sets of six at 80 kilos in sleeves. So good. Well done. So Thank she's you. come a long way, which is sick. Yeah. Thanks. CJ? Um, yeah, training's been awesome. I am prepping for the um, novice comp in April. Yes, yes, in April. April and 10th. Um, yes, April 10th. Super excited. I'm in week four of my transition block, so I'm about to start a peak, which I'm really keen for. Um, yeah, this whole block has been PBs. Uh, yesterday I squatted 190 for three, and my last, my last one rep max was 180. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. They were easy too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's fun transitioning into wraps and getting used to that. Um, yeah, I'm actually starting to really enjoy it. They don't hurt as much anymore. Yeah, I told you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying training. It's a good learning experience both ways because you're learning how to squat and wraps and you're learning how to wrap <laughs> knees. Yeah. Big but, dog. All right. Um, <clears throat> I've kind of hit the ground running with my training uh, ever since getting back into powerlifting. I've got uh, Coach Bridget doing all my programming. Um, but I've had some pretty big weeks of training I squatted 180 for eight, 185 for six in sleeves, which is are all PBs for me. Deadlifted 240, which is a PB, and finally hit a three plate bench, which I've been trying to get for the last five years. Yeah, um, yeah, and I'm prepping for a comp as well. It'll be my first comp since 2019, so it's going to be huge. I got some uh, big goals that I want to smash. Um, I want to squat 270. Come on, yeah. So I want to squat 270 under 82. That's the only one I really care about. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, I'm just going to say this one out loud just so everyone knows it as well. Manifest it. Yeah, I'm manifesting this one. I want to be the next 82.5 kilo lifter in Australia to squat 300. Yeah. So that's my next goal. I don't know how, how outlandish that is or how crazy it is, but in my head, I feel like I'm not that far off. No. Mm -hmm. There's no limit. Yeah. Sky's <laughs> the limit, baby. The limit. We're taking exist. off. That's it. The limit doesn't exist. Amazing. That's awesome, man. 
Mm. Um, I also want to give a few uh, client shout outs or even just members of the gym a shout out. Yeah. I'll start with uh, my boy Anthony Zapapas in Tasmania. That dude's a weapon. He just rips into every single session. Adherence, 10 out of 10. Works hard. Uh, my boy Peter Dolan over in New Zealand. He's a freak. I don't know if I should say this out loud, but you know, under 100, he'll squat over 350 at the Wolfpack Invitational in New Zealand. So he's a monster and a top bloke as well. And I feel like I always give this bloke a shout out, but uh, David Wilcox, 60 years old, absolutely crushing it. He's going to have a big, uh, he's going to have a big year in powerlifting and uh, another bloke that just loves it, comes in, rips in. He lives and breathes it at the moment, which is so cool to see. It's so cool to see someone so hyped up over a sport. Uh, and it kind of just makes me feel grateful to be in the industry that we're in. It just kind of, you know, takes me back. I'm like, I think that's, I think it's super cool. It's super inspiring. Mm. I also think, you know, like I've been powerlifting since I was 18 and the difference in how my body feels between age 23 and now age 32 or almost 33. Like, I don't know if I'll still be going when I'm 61. Like Dave's that shining beacon that sort of was like, yeah, I can do it. Every time he squats, uh, I always ask myself, why do his hips work better than mine? I'm 30 years old. He's got such a nice looking squat. Yeah, no, nah, so he's a weapon. So that's, uh, that's really cool. Sweet. Amazing. Sounds like everyone's training's going to plan. I'm currently in prep for Pro Raw. Um, this will be my one, two, three, fourth Pro Raw that I've competed at. I've coached at all of them since Pro Raw 5. Uh, training was going pretty good. Like the the nature of um, how uh, decrepit my hips are means that I can only squat and deadlift once a, once a week, like one top set a week. Um the comp that I did in December was meant to be my last raw comp, but we don't talk about that competition and what happened there. Uh, so this one's going to be my last raw comp before I throw in the towel on, on raw lifting, or at least raw squatting anyway, because that's really what gets to me. Uh, training was going amazing until the deadlift session that I did at Melbourne Strength Culture, and I hurt my good hip uh, or my better hip doing some conventional deadlift. So I don't know, it's started a bit of beef with the Melbourne Strength Culture boys, so we'll chat about that when they come up in a few <laughs> weeks' time. I don't know if they did something. I don't want to play the sabotage card, but... There's something in the water down there, right? It's just a strange coincidence. Yeah. Uh, that's all i got to say. So, no, in all seriousness, I haven't been able to do a bodyweight squat for the last uh, two weeks. So, I'm hoping that I can squat by Friday this week, if not next week. Um, if this hip is properly cooked, it might mean I'd go deadlift only because I can still deadlift pretty heavy. So We'll see. Just playing it by ear. I've been around powerlifting long enough to not get too emotional about it and just power forward and do what I can do at any point in time. So that's where we're at. Just touching on that topic that you just mentioned, uh, not be too emotionally attached to it. Uh, that's something that I've learned uh, to do from you uh, in terms of whenever I get real upset about something, at the end of the day, it's only lifting. We all choose to do this for fun. We don't get paid for it. Well, we kind of do because it's our job, but <laughs> that's always stuck with me when Thomas said, you know, you know, I don't know if you've noticed when Thomas gets injured, he doesn't really care. Well, he doesn't let it out, make it obvious no. that he cares. No. Um, so that's something massive that I've taken away from, you know, being under Thomas's uh, tutelage the past, I don't know, three years before, or how long I've been training with him, whatever. Yeah, the, the process of injury is a, an interesting one and you get better at it as time goes by. Um, and it's the case in any sport, not just lifting, but I think the big thing when people get injured initially, especially if it's a new injury that you've never experienced it's quite hard to emotionally disconnect from the shock of what's just happened. Like when you tear a muscle for the first time or you pop something for the first time, 
you know that something that's not supposed to have happened has just happened. And even if it's painful or uh, sorry, even if it's not painful, you know, something's wrong. And so you live in that space immediately. And like when you're in, uh, this is the case across anything that happens in your life. This is why PTSD exists. This is why people, you know, with childhood trauma struggle to let go of it. When you're in a traumatic experience, the brain goes into hyper learning. So you, you uh, attach so much to what's happening based on what's just happened. And if the more time that you spend in this panicked emotional state, the more that will relive when something like that happens again, even if it's just a minor tweak, even if it's just like something doesn't feel right in lifting. So the hardest part of injury is overcoming that, overcoming the emotional reaction to things not feeling great. And what you learn with time, or especially if you told this over and over, because being told what to do when you get injured is great. But when you get injured, you don't think like that. You know, like it's, it's, it's good to be able to draw on it. And so the more you get exposed to it, the better. But what you should do when you experience something like, you know, you feel something go, you feel something go wrong. You have to acknowledge really quickly, this has happened. And there's literally nothing I can do about the fact that it happened. Like you can't go back and do the set again and undo what just happened. You have to accept, okay, this has happened. And now all you can do from that point in your control is what's next, is start thinking, what's the rehab process? Who do I need to talk to? What therapist do I need to see? How much time do I need to take off? What can I do to work around this injury? What, can, what other areas can I work on in the meantime? What am I going to do next? What are the next steps? The more you sit there and analyze, what did I do wrong? Was my sleep off, my nutrition off, my training off? A lot of that doesn't matter because you don't know why you got injured. You could have a guess, but you don't know. You, c you just cannot know that. And so it is important to reflect back, but don't do it in the moment. In the moment, you have to focus immediately on what's next. And part of that is just sitting there for a second and being like, it's happened. What can I do from here? Even if it's as simple as get up, walk it off, go ice it, whatever you're going to do as the first step, go straight to actioning what is next rather than sitting there and just dwelling on it because that'll eat away at you so hard and it will make any time that you're lifting and things don't feel right so dramatic from that point like you'll be so scared to lift and anyone who's been in lifting for a while or other sports and been injured knows that feeling like you'd know it with your achilles yeah well that's how i got into powerlifting because my as soon as i snapped my achilles uh, i had the mindset what's next and i was like okay bench only yeah. let me run small of junior for 16 weeks and uh See what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's a bit of wisdom around injuries. Yeah, nice. All right. Well, uh, we'll rip into our subject of the podcast. I just, uh, wait, I want to say one more thing. Uh, because like the statement that you said, Thomas doesn't seem to care about injuries. Of course I care. But like, um, you know, lifting, I, I love lifting. Like, I might make a joke about, oh, got to do squats today or whatever. But I wouldn't be doing this stuff if I didn't love it. I'm always committed to like what's the next step and pushing my body as far as I can push it in the sport. I should have stopped raw squatting years ago. But I'm still going because if I can find a way to do it and still get some progress out of it, I'm going to keep doing it. Like I'm addicted to this. I love this. It's so lifting weights is such a massive part of my identity and I'm happy to admit that and I'm okay with that. So um, I'm not necessarily completely okay with getting hurt, uh, but I'm committed to figuring out a solution. Yeah, Matt. Anyway. Oh, good. All right. Well, uh, rip into our topic for today. The topic is culture. Yeah, building culture. Right? Yeah, building culture. And 
Yeah, I think we uh, at Ground Zero, we've got a really good culture. So I don't know, Thomas, if you want to uh, start talking about how we how you built this culture, how you built it from the ground up. Well, before we get that, I want to hear, because I've never spoken to you guys about this, what your initial experiences of the culture was. Because everyone, like all of you, everyone that comes to a new place like this is initially nervous about doing so. Like you create a perception in your head of how it's going to be. And it's only until you experience it that you overcome that perception. So I want to know what was your first experience of learning the culture here um, and how it impacted you? There's a lot less ego here than what I was expecting. Yeah, when I came in, I just made sure to smile at everybody and say hello. And I noticed the huge community feel here. And I had this preconceived idea of the powerlifting industry to be just big, strong, sort of egotistical people. And it's the complete opposite of that. Like, uh, it's a very versatile community and everybody's so welcoming and so wonderful. And yeah, I just, I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And can you see now how, because like we spoke about this when we did the trial run of the, the new mics and everything. Can you see how it's really quite difficult to have an ego in a place like this. Absolutely. It's it's so interesting because, I mean, like that's a common common comment, you know, like people think that in a in a place full of really strong people that everyone's going to think that they're really strong. Mm-hmm. And it's so the opposite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no one no one actually gives a fuck how much you lift in here yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day. That's the cool thing. But um, <clears throat> I had a really cool uh, first experience of Zeros. Uh, I came in, well, I met you first. You came into my work and then um, I Came in and trained with Edan, Cookie Thor. He's a, he's a legend. He's one of the goats around here. Um, and, yes, yeah, so I had a really cool uh, first impression. I got to train with him. He was super strong. I got to hang out with all the boys. Got to hang out with Matty, bro. Um, just a whole bunch oh, a whole bunch of the really strong guys at the time, but none of them had an ego. We're all sharing the same bench. They wanted to take off 40 kilos every time I went to go – sorry, 100 kilos every time I went to go do a set. <laughs> Um, that was my first introduction to the culture at uh, Zero. It was very welcoming. But uh, ever since I've been a member here as well and an employee, one of my main things is I'm always trying to make people feel included. So that's one of my things. I'm always very inclusive. Um, I like to try drive the culture here as well. You know, I feel like that's what I, I'm good at is making people feel included, welcomed. And I, yeah, that's just one of the things that I always try to do here is just make everyone feel like they're at home. And that's, uh, that's the way it is now. Everyone who trains here just feels like they're at home. They come in here, have fun, talk shit, lift some weights. Some people max out every week because they, they love it. You know, they love lifting around their friends. For a lot of people, uh, they've made all their friends here. All their closest friends are through Zero, which is, I think is fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Mm. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, yeah, my first experience coming in here, I <laughs> mentioned in the last podcast, uh, I came in, had no idea what I was doing and yeah, you, your first impression is, yeah, you think it's um, a very egotistical environment and um, it's all about the number on the bar because that's what the sport is, you know? So that's what you assume everyone cares about at this gym. And yeah, I mentioned in the last podcast, I was <laughs> I was training and Kieran was maxing out and he was just encouraging me with my lifts, giving me pointers and he made very clear that he did not care what was on the bar for me. He just knew uh, just by watching me what my capabilities were and how I could be better. And I would appreciate it if he told me that I shouldn't have chalked my shins, but um, <laughs> we'll talk about that another time. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, that like having, uh, of course, you guys know Kieran. He loves to talk and <laughs> loves to have a yarn. And uh, you know, to me, he was well. Even to him, I was a complete stranger, and it was just so welcoming. And that to me was such a huge shock. Because yeah, in a gym where the sport is about the number, they he it wasn't like he it was like almost like he wasn't even looking what the number was on the bar. He was just looking at me lifting, and that you can't help like I guess human nature is to reciprocate that, reciprocate kindness. And now you see other people in other different you know lifting journeys and different levels of lifting and lifting different weight. It's not, yeah, you learn very quickly. It's not about the number on the bar, but I guess, in a sense, what the weight is to them. Mm. Like, if that's a PB for them, you're just as excited as, exactly you know, right. someone else, you know, mm. pulling a PB at 300 plus, you know? And I love that because I, I get hyped because the euphoric feeling you feel PBing, you feel for that person, even if it's half your max. Yeah, 100%. Cause you, yeah, because yeah, it's what it is to them, what they've had to overcome, the hard work they've had to put in. Mm. Yeah. Like the other night when I uh, pulled my deadlift PB of 240, I was deadlifting with uh, Andy Davis, Gerard Pashkovich, Jordan Anderson, who are, who are all a million times stronger than me. And they're all, they're all fucking screaming at the top of their lungs, going off when I lifted it. Uh, that's pretty sick. And they're all, they're all super strong guys. Like that's, that's rep work for them. But mm. yeah, like we said, it doesn't matter. It's just an arbitrary measure of resistance. <laughs> Absolutely. Like even when you pulled, uh, pulled, pushed 140 off your chest, like, I guess me knowing you for a bit now and knowing what that would have meant and the setbacks you would have had missing that number. And you're kidding. I nearly lost my voice screaming. I was like pounding my chest. So like, and like, yes, that's an impressive number for me, but I didn't even care. It was the fact that you'd overcome something so huge. Yeah. And I know you personally as a friend. So I was just so stoked. Like, you know, that you'd done something you couldn't before. I think, yeah, that that is just, I mean, that's just as good as PBing yourself, if not better. Yeah, we all share the same experience. Mm. 100%. Is, yeah. For me, that was massive. Uh, obviously, because I fucking finally benched 140. It's only taken five years and uh, 500 grams a year, the way that, yeah, if you break it down. Um, but also, like, it, I knew it meant a lot to Thomas as well. Thomas came and gave me a hug. I was like, sweet, fuck, he feels this as well. Like, mm. you know, we all, everyone got around it. It was sick. Yes. Yeah, and 140, you know, in the grand scheme of things, and in powerlifting, that's not an impressive bench press for someone who's my weight class. It's just, it's like I, I, I think I said this in the last podcast that it never gets old. If anything, it just gets better. Like it gets, it gets more exciting as time goes on. Um, interestingly, I learned this lesson outside of the powerlifting world. So, um story time everyone gather around uh the the commercial gym that i trained at before i got some stuff for home which eventually led me to opening ptc um a guy used to train there jason semler and i used to train um twice a week in the afternoon most of the time i'd train in the morning uh, but one of the days in the afternoon i'd go in at about 2 30 the gym would always be dead you know rush time is sort of four to five and it would be me and maybe three other pe people and this guy jason used to train there at that time and for those who are unfamiliar with that name, years down the track, I sort of took him under my wing and we, I coached him to become the, the biggest bench presser ever in Australia at that time until Andrew Cooper came along, who we now coach and has beaten that record. But Jason back then, he was just a gym, a gym bro, like certified gym bro, no interest in powerlifting, didn't even know what powerlifting was. I knew what powerlifting was. 
And so I was the only powerlifter in that gym. And back then I was like 90 kilos. I was benching. I think my max was 135 on bench. And this guy was throwing around 240 every session like it was nothing. He was just like this. He didn't realize that he was the strongest bench presser in Australia basically at that time because he didn't know what the records were. He didn't know about powerlifting. So there were only two benches in that gym. So I would go and bench that day. He would be next to me every time. And he'd always want a spot. And I'd always think to myself, what the fuck am I going to do if you drop 240 kilos right now? Because I can tell you I'm not picking it up. Because uh, they weren't proper powerlifting benches anyway, either. But without fail, every session, he would be like, bro, you're looking massive. You've gotten so much bigger. Your training's going awesome. Wow, that bench was amazing. That was such a good push. You should try a little bit more. Like he was so encouraging, always complimenting, always complimenting everyone else that showed up as well. And I was like, this guy is the strongest person in this gym and without knowing the strongest person in Australia when it comes to bench press. And he is the one going around telling everyone how great they are. And I thought that is just really cool. Like I learned that outside the powerlifting world. Because back then powerlifting was quite clicky. Um, I was in PA and PA was even more clicky. Uh, and it was, it was kind of hard to make friends, especially I'm, I'm not the kind of personality type that goes out and makes friends with everyone. So I was, I was a little bit of a black sheep. I just did my own thing. And he really showed me that, you know, truly strong people don't have an ego on them. You know, they don't need to have an ego on them, I should say. Um, in terms of then creating culture, this is an interesting one because like you guys have experienced the culture here and it is, it's unreal. Go to zero in Brisbane where Daniel is and Lucy and Rochelle, that culture is unreal. Go to Mackay, same culture. You experience that. And it's not like I've written a handbook and given it to these people and said, this is what the culture needs to be like. So when people ask me this question, because I get asked it a bit, I'm like, where did it come from? Where does it come from? And in large part, it does come from the top. Like the culture is a reflection of the people that uh, are really driving the show. And if you think about here, you think about Southside, you think about um, Mackay, I don't drive the show. You guys do. So that to me says I've chosen the right people because the culture is better now than it ever has been because I've got amazing people helping me. If I think where did this culture come from and if you're listening to this in your earnest gym or you are you know, a coach and you've got a team of people underneath you, it comes from you. And the only way that culture gets out there is if you emulate the properties of the culture that you want. So that means like if you want a team environment, you are part of the team. You're not the guy yelling at everyone and dictating everything. You are in amongst it. You're leading by example. You're showing the kind of culture that you want. And if I reflect back on PTC Gold Coast and its, its journey into zero, really that's what I did. I was, I'm not a PT. I never ran 40 sessions a week one-on-one. -on -one. I was always training with my members. Like I was encouraging us all to train at the same time. I was the first one yelling and then everyone else started doing that and I didn't have to do it as much because the culture then drove itself. Because we started attracting people like you guys that would come and see that and want to be a part of it. And then it just comes self-sustaining. And the cool part about a culture like that is that people can feel involved without having to get involved. Because there's a lot of people that just want to come train, stay quiet, do their thing and go home. And we don't want people to feel forced to be us we want people to feel welcome in an environment where we can do our thing. That's the coolest thing about the culture is that we really are welcoming to anybody provided that they don't have a sense of ego, selfishness, that kind of thing. Like we, we really are a team. Uh, but the cool thing about a team is that you can participate in a team without being a leader. And I think, um, you know, if you're, if you're trying to create culture 
and you are the person that is at the top. You really have to emulate. You really have to showcase what you want that culture to be. And again, like it makes me so happy that I've chosen people that can do that. And to, to give you guys some insight, like I don't hire my staff on coaching ability. Were you guys coaching powerlifting before here? Nope. Was Daniel and Rochelle and Lucy? Nope. Mackay, you know, Khan was, but it's a slightly different story up there. I pick people who represent the kind of people that I want leading my business because I can teach coaching. It's what I do. Coaching fucking easy. Twist your quads away from each other, all problem solved. <laughs> that was so hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the actual coaching part is just a skill that you learn and can be taught. Um, being good with people, being able to make people feel welcome, being a chameleon, connecting with people. Like, you know, to, to, to showcase a story that we haven't told before, James got offered a job here and turned it down and then came back and took the job, whatever it was, six months, 12 months later, because I'd been watching this guy in my gym for a year or however long it would be and be like, without saying anything to James ever, he's the guy that walks up to the new person who walks in the door, shakes their hand, says, how are you going? Makes them feel welcome. He's the guy bringing his friends in and immersing him in the culture. He's buying into what the culture is here. I want him on my team. And that's, that's how I look at hiring staff. Coaching ability, I mean, who cares? We, we can teach that. It's helpful, but being good with people. I mean, like that, that is in a people service-based business. That's what you need to be. That's, um, and yeah, like you mentioned, you got to be good with people. Um, I used to think I had imposter syndrome for the whole time I was uh, tra- coaching here, probably up until six months ago. And um, only recently I started putting myself more out there, posting more of my own training, posting some of my clients, talking a little bit more shit on the internet. Uh, I haven't actually said anything smart about coaching or powerlifting. I've just put my personally uh, personality out there more, which has, again, attracted a little bit more, created a little bit more traction in terms of uh, you know bringing people to zero, asking about zero, maybe even bringing on more clients and things like that. So yeah, you're right with that part. Like You don't need to be, at the end of the day, you don't need to be a good coach to start with. You don't need to be a coach to start with. You just need to be a fucking good person. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm really excited for um, the new gym in, in Brisbane, the, the two people we've got heading up there. I mean, they're amazing people. They're lovely people. And they've done the zero coaching course, so they know our methods. Like the, Again, the coaching part is easy, but I'm so confident in both of their ability to connect with members, to make members feel welcome, and to drive their own version of this culture up there. And I can guarantee you that you'll be able to walk into that gym, you know, six months down the, the track when it's pumping and it'll feel like your home if you're a member of Zero already. I mean, it's, I don't get too emotional about this stuff, but it's always the most heartwarming thing when complete strangers come and train with us for a week and say stuff like that. Like, I love this gym. I feel like it's home. I wish I could train here all the time. Like, it's, it's because of the culture that we have created. You know, we have evolved it's not like you guys walked in and, and again, I said, this is what we do here. You walked in and I'm like, you guys are the right people. I don't even need to tell you what to do in that sense. You already do it. That's like um, <coughs> one of the blokes that trained here on holiday, uh, Andrew Blackwood from Ireland. Yeah, Andrew. You know, he's, he's the man. He's the a man. legend of a bloke. So and a, strong. A whip, yeah, a weapon of a lifter. Andrew Blackwood, uh, he's competed at IPF Worlds multiple times. I don't know how many times, but he's... Yeah, I still speak to him, to him to this day and he still goes on about how Zero is the best gym he's ever been to in his whole life. Yeah, we're going to open a Zero in Ireland. Yes. Don't you worry about it. 
That'd be sick. He'll do it one day. Come on. Yeah, Jordan Hellier in, in the UK and Wales as well. Uh, I guarantee you one day there's going to be a zero out there and he'll be the man for that. Philippines? <laughs> Next. <laughs> Next question. Yeah. I want membership money, not people walking in with guns. Oh. People walking in with guns and being like, I'm training here now. By the way, you pay me. <laughs> zero Manila. That'd be hectic, oh isn't it? One of, isn't Manila one of the most like high crime rate places? Probably, on Earth? yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, the Philippines yeah. is a beautiful place though. Mm. It's kind of like South Africa. South Africa gets a worse rap than what it deserves, and I imagine Philippines is much the same. Oh, hundred percent. Like you go to places, yeah, like you said, in Manila, where it's just dirty and crime is through the roof, and then you go down the road and it's beautiful scenery. It's you know, it's green. It's yeah, like you said, it just gets a bad rap. It's a, it's same with PNG, like. I've, you know, I coached the PNG national team and I've been there a bunch of times. Anywhere in the world, if you go the wrong place at the wrong time, Australia, you go the wrong place at the wrong time, you're in trouble. Mm, absolutely. Like most people universally are pretty cool. You walk in here, catch me at the wrong time, you're in trouble. The wrong time? What, you mean 23 <laughs> hours of the day? <laughs> yes. <laughs> when is the right time? Actually, actually, we did miss a segment, which is the grievance thing. But I want to, cl- I want to clear this up. So last week we did the Thomas's grievance thing, right? The week before, with the failed recording, we explained why we're doing that. And I feel like if we don't explain why we're doing that, it just makes me sound like a real grumpy <laughs> asshole. So do you want to explain it, or do I want to explain it? No, nah, you explain it. You okay. Explain so it. James's point of this whole grievance thing is the fact that I never get angry at anything, and I'm always too calm. So he's trying to rile me up. <laughs> That's what he's looking for. So anyone who listened to it and like, fuck, this Thomas guy is just a grumpy bastard. I bet he's the worst boss ever. Just want to clear that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess because like me and James are very fiery people and you're like this mellow, <laughs> always chill. Well, I got to be. Otherwise, it's just like really angry people running the show. <laughs> this place would be on fire. Eh? Oh, yeah. my gosh. <laughs> Poor Bridget would should be cowering in the corner with Buddy. <laughs> Bridget's smiling 24-7. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't want to get in trouble <laughs> oh dear grievance for the week what have you got surely it's cj <sighs> fuck he slipped up a bit lately eh? i think it has to be yeah mm. i think it has to be we had an extremely important meeting probably the most important meeting in 10 years of zero this morning cj forgot yep it probably wasn't the most important meeting in, in 10 years <laughs> Did you actually forget? Yeah, I actually thought it was next week and I double booked. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. What a genius. Not even I forgot. No, I did until yesterday. So I did forget. Pretty much everyone forgot. So <laughs> it's just CJ. It CJ's, was just me in the call. <laughs> so even Khan, Khan, I called at, at five past 10. I'm like, we're all waiting for you in this meeting. He's like, no, you're wrong. It's 10.30. I'm like, we're literally here waiting for you. It's 10 o'clock. No, you're wrong. When you told me as well, write this down so you don't forget. I wrote it down somewhere that I'd never look. <laughs> I was like, oh, I might use my calendar for once. <laughs> Let me just, write it here. Just in case. And then poor, oh poor Nick, our, uh, our design team, the, the man behind the logos and our web designer, uh, he crashed his car on the way to the meeting. So it was a bit of a debacle. Oh, while you're on that, do you want to talk about all these... Uh, because I feel like Zero is massive now. Yes. There's so many employees. Do you want to talk about some of the employees and their roles? Like CJ, the media guy? Yeah, there's a few There's a few hidden people that are not quite going to be 
you know, the faces of zero because they're, you know, they're, they're the important cogs in the engine. Uh, whereas, you know, the, the Jameses and the Bridgets and the Daniels and the Rochelles and Lucy's are the, the beautiful exterior of, of the vehicle that is zero. Um, so, I mean, CJ's got a face through the podcast. Mm. CJ's uh, started out as our resident barber, but has now taken on, um, let's call it media management in terms of photography, videography. Um, a lot of the Instagram stuff that we put out is, is driven by, by CJ. He does an amazing job at that. Um, and with him on board, we're going to do hopefully a lot more of that sort of stuff and get, get a little bit more vlog sort of stuff happening, uh, just a little bit more video content that's professional. He did our whole video library. He does all the video work for my coach development system. He's, he's been really pivotal in, in stepping our game up in that regard. Um, Nick just started. Nick's a, a, actually a long-term friend, personal friend of mine who I've, I've gotten on board business-wise. Um, he's, he's a graphic designer by trade, but he does a bit of a jack of all trades with, um, web sort of stuff. So he designed the original zero logo and every version of the zero logo and all our custom t-shirts and all of that sort of stuff he's designed over the years. Now he's on board full time with us doing, um, web design and management, all of that, um, uh, graphic design stuff and a, a few other bits and bobs around, um, uh, marketing. Uh, so that's really cool to have Nick on board and he's really transforming how, how our business is operating in that sense. Uh, everyone else has a face. Everyone else is a, a coach or a manager of some sort. Um, and make sure you follow Zero Southside, Zero Brisbane, Zero Mackay, um, the other zeros that eventually pop up so you can uh, get to know the team a little bit more because, again, we have such a really cool team. Can I – I just want to – Nick listens to this podcast because he messaged me, but I just want to give him a shout-out. Fuck, he's on to it, eh? He's the man. You message him and it's actioned in five minutes. Exactly. <laughs> Wait, don't, don't make it sound like nothing gets actioned around here. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my 2022 manifestation is to answer answer people quicker and do stuff quicker. But yes, he is the absolute man in terms of making stuff happen. Yeah, but he just gets it done yeah. straight away. I love it. So good. He said this morning he was listening to that that CD. Yeah. <laughs> the Emo Thomas CD. The Tombro Mix. That's it. <laughs> How good. Gosh. That's it. That's cool. That's really cool to hear about um, you guys' experience of the of the culture. Um, we're moving on to some quick fire questions to finish off. Yeah, I've got some uh, questions. Where are they? Can I ask something quickly about culture? Yeah. All right. So, I guess yeah. Well, we we all manifest. Um, I guess who we are as you know genuine cool people, and that's just what's manifested into the gym and what is the great culture that's in the gym because of you guys. Um. But I guess like the saying goes, you know, whatever you say you condone, but also whatever you allow you condone. And has there been any times where there's something that has been countercultural and of course, you know, to keep a culture, you, you can't allow it. You've got to address it, if that makes sense. Has there, like, I'm, I'm not saying you have to out people or anything like that, but like, has there been a lot of that that is something like I need to stand strong like okay we we can't have any of that toxicity or like is that uh, how have you gone about addressing it or has it been a, like a lot of correcting like oh we're not about that here like don't I'll I'll quickly touch on that I, I keep it short with people that uh, do things that go against our you know community guidelines as such there's been a few times where someone will do something or say something and I'll just nip it on the butt straight away and just say oh we don't do that shit around here and I'll just leave it there. Yeah. That's what I've done in the past. Yeah, I mean, like, fortunately, the nature of the culture kind of becomes a little bit um, 
self-organizing, as in people people that don't fit that mold who would be countercultural and, and cause issues, weed themselves out. Mm. Um, so o- over the over the last ten years, I've only had to formally uh, ban someone once. Um, there have been a few people who have been close to that point who have then uh, basically left themselves. Um, but yeah, I mean, like one one lesson I learned pretty early on is basically the subject that we had last week is that um, uh, to be a successful leader, it, it's not about being everyone's friend. Mm. Because in, in doing so, you have to allow everything and make everyone feel comfortable and that's going to cause clashes. To be a leader, you have to have a really good sense of a bird's eye view and be able to identify something that won't work in that space and then put an end to it very quickly. Mm. Um, thankfully, you know, it, it very, very rarely, I mean, never in this case has it become super explosive or damaging. Um, it's definitely become, it's definitely come close to that a couple of times, but um, yeah, I think with, with um, uh, good management, it's, it's pretty easy to stay on top of, uh, but a big part of that is just being a good leader and a good leader needs to know the difference between themselves as a person and themselves as a leader mm. because there are, there are qualities, traits, um, you know, personality traits of my own that I would never want to infiltrate this place. So while I have to lead uh, or historically have had to lead by example, I've had to fundamentally change how I present myself in some aspects to ensure that that didn't become part of the culture uh, because it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. If that makes sense. Absolutely. I, I think that's something I've always admired about all you guys is that as nice and caring and loving people as you are, you're also no BS kind of people and you just don't let that slide. And you, you, that, off to me, Trump's just being a nice guy. Like, I, I have to honour and respect that. And, yeah, we're like-minded in that sense. Yeah, sometimes you just got to be a sharpshooter and say it how it is and... Mm. Yeah, you just can't fucking leave lit shit. Uh, you can't just dwell on shit too long. Sometimes you have to nip it on the butt straight away. Yeah, I'd go a bit further than that. I, th- I think the definition of being someone who is nice means honest, which means being honest with yourself and being yeah. honest with others. And honesty at some time, at some points, is very difficult. Mm. And so, like, if you are dishonest in the sense that you allow things to slide that you otherwise wouldn't allow to slide, really, you're just being dishonest with the person and with yourself. And in doing so, you know, you feel like you're making someone happy or satisfied, but really you're just pushing that issue aside and allowing it to fester and get worse. And yeah. if you do that, it'll become explosive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Sweet. Uh, first question is from my best mate, uh, John Brooks. Go to hype song when you're about to G up for a big lift. Have you guys got a song you uh, chuck on? CJ? Yes. Oh, um, just two. Either No Role Models by J. Cole or The Champ Is Here. Sweet. Yeah, you always chuck that one on. It's mm. a good one. Tom, bro. Uh, I'm kind of a big believer in in not having hype music just because, you know, I'm a competition powerlifter and you don't have control of that on the day. And I don't use headphones ever uh, for, for training. Um, and so very rarely do I change the music, which kind of contradicts last night because I was looking for ages for a band I wanted to put on. Um, sometimes I'll put on music that I want to listen to, um, for a thing. Historically though, back in the day, it would always be a song called Lookin' Boy by a band called Hot Styles, but it's not on Spotify. So I have to play it through YouTube if I ever play it. Um, 
But I, I only bust that out maybe once a year these days. Yeah, I've never heard it. You have to your next PB. You're gonna have to chuck it on. <laughs> Get in the zone. I see Tombo all revved up. Uh, Bridget, go to hype song. Um, I kind of agree with Thomas on this. I try not to rely on music too much, but lately it's been Limp Biscuit, Full Nelson. Whoa, love it. Whoa, <laughs> whoa. You're like, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Um, I've got three songs that I always chuck on. The first one is The Rock Wilder by Method Man and Red Man. That's a good one. My second one is actually shout out Jamie Buziotis from uh, Melbourne Strength Culture for this one. Uh, he just got me uh, back into Meth's discography, Method Man's discography. So uh, the other one is Step by Step. It's like a different kind of hype song though. It just kind of makes me Wait, feel. Hang on. Is this a hype song that you've historically used or one that you just started no, last No, it week? used to be one of my favourite Method okay. Man songs that I forgot about. But was it a hype song? Because this no. is sounding like my log press answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So it's actually not really a hype song. It just kind of gets you, it makes you feel a little bit cocky. It makes you feel a little bit arrogant. Okay. Sometimes you need that when, you you're, yep. when you're going to do something you've never done. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you get too hyped up and too uh, aroused li- uh, listening to some uh, <laughs> hardcore shit. So uh, yeah. Step by Step, Method Man, and my third one is, it's a new one as well, shout out Bridget, Pantera, Walk. Wait, that's the song I played last night for my deadlifts. Bro, I lost my mind when that came on. He played it like another three times. I legit lost my mind. I couldn't believe it. No, 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 no. That got me so good. That used to be like the anthem of the gym. I'm... I'm still thinking about this. So I couldn't believe it. I was like, why have I never heard this before? So there was one of the OG members, like maybe the fifth member of the gym. Um, and the, the sixth was his, was his good mate. So it was, um, um, it was Mike and Marcus. And Mike was just this little muso kid. Um, and uh, Josiah brought him in. So he's in, in the music scene. He's real quiet. Uh, it, it reminds me a lot of Jamie, Jamie Timms. Um, and he would play that song without fail every session for every top set. And so it just became like, yeah, this is this is like the lifting song. We just all got like Pavlov's dog classically conditioned to, you hear that, dun, 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 dun. you're like, oh, I gotta lift something. <laughs> That's legit how I felt. I couldn't, I couldn't stop talking about it. Yeah. Once you played it, I was like, what the fuck is this? Um, sweet, next question is, thoughts on the US APL coming to Australia from Anaru Clarkson? I don't know why you have to do this to me. <laughs> I'll start. Okay. <laughs> Please do. I've got no thoughts on it. We don't need another federation. It's, it's tricky because like when I first saw APL taking or appearing again, because uh, what happened is APL came along and the person that was originally running it, like before John Gabriel, who was run it up to this point, uh, was someone who was a bad egg in the industry. He had... Um, He'd done some bad things in the industry uh, with Strongman and then he reappeared with APL. And so a lot of powerlifters or strength sports people who had been around were like, don't go anywhere near this guy. And so he did the same thing with powerlifting and and got a lot of unsuspecting people caught off guard uh, and then disappeared. And of course, then John took over and, and made APL into what it was. And so when John took over APL and it started running a few more comps around the place, that was my thought. It's like, we don't need another Fed. This is ridiculous. And then it grew and then I met John and I saw what John was about and I'm like, I need to be a part. I actually met John because he approached me for coaching. That's that's where we started with with John and then that eventually turned into what he was doing with that federation, which I loved, which was investing in the sport, putting money in the sport, investing in young people, sponsoring young people. He did a lot of amazing things for the sport. Make no doubt that John Gabriel, even if you don't know that name, um, 
what he did through Oz Strength and APL has fundamentally changed how powerlifting runs in Australia. He's legitimately a good bloke as well. Just the a, nicest guy. Really, really, really good person. Really smart person. Um, and so like now I'm fully amongst APL. And so that was a new federation that I had the same thoughts on. So with USAPL coming into play, uh, much like you, my thoughts are kind of net neutral. Really, it's for me, just sit back and see what happens. Yeah. Because oh. like, I, although it does kind of, you can make this competition dilution argument. Don't think that actually truly occurs that much, as much as what people expect, because the new federations tend to attract new lifters. Like you look at APL, we're going to run nationals with 180, uh, 180 lifters, and we're going to be pushing, fitting everyone in that wants to do it. Like it's going to be a massive comp. And most of the people that are at the top of powerlifting won't know most of the people doing this competition because they're relatively new to the sport. So as that grows, then I think, well, what happens to something like zero? Well, zero grows because people get involved in powerlifting. So there's a lot of benefits to another federation coming on board um, really it's just going to be like, what do they make of it? Are they doing anything different? Are they doing anything better? And with the people that I'm pretty sure are going to be um, heading up the show, I think it could be really positive. Yeah, actually, that's a way better answer than my one. I like the idea of <laughs> powerlifting as a whole growing. Um, yeah, so like a rising tide, you know, raises all ships. So it'll be cool to see the sport grow. And like we've talked about commercializing strength sports. Um, so that'll be massive. Anyone else? CJ? Oh, uh, I'm not really. I don't know anything about federations. Keep it that way. I man. just yeah. <laughs> I just lift, lift the weights, um, lift all the weights as as well as much as I can. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually I actually have to say, you know, talking about hype songs. Mm. What do you guys do to get hype? Like, what do you say to yourself? Do you? I've always tried to ask this question to you guys, especially you, Thomas. Many times I, I know you're saying, so I can see you're saying, and you never tell me what it is you're saying before a big deadlift. <laughs> so in front of the world. <laughs> that, the, what I'm saying isn't getting me hyped. No? Uh, that's, that's just part of the routine. Yeah. And this is the important thing. Like, I have to turn this educational now. This, this is the important <laughs> thing when it comes to, to hype. It's like, you, you think, of, think of you guys on comp day, right? You're watching the screen. It's like, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy two, Jimmy three, Bridget. And it's like, Jimmy's gone. Jimmy two's there. And with each Jimmy passing, Bridget's like, oh, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. She's getting more and more nervous. That mm. nerve, nervousness is adrenaline, right? Mm. And adrenaline you can harness and, and improve performance. And so the art of being a really high level lifter is learning how to turn that on and then turn it off really quickly because adrenaline taxes you. If you're hyped all day, you're fucked before you even get to bench press. Mm. And so you learn strategies of uh, routine that kind of turn you on. And so for me, if you pay attention to something like the deadlift, my strategy is I'll look at the weights for a little bit. And then once I, as I've got like a real short window of time, they'll be like looking at the weights and then it'll be on. As soon as I'm on, I get up and I go chalk. Then I go walk to the bar and I've probably got a minute from like turning on to when I'm going to be able to perform. So if I get mixed up or I can't set up my phone to record or someone distracts me or whatever, my set will be trash. So I'll go chalk, then I stand in front of the bar. What I'm normally saying in front of the bar is just how many reps there are. I'm normally just saying you only got to do one. You only got to do three or whatever it is. Okay. Um, 
or something a little if um if I'm not feeling it maybe something like it's not even that hard or you're yes. probably you're probably going to fail. Yes. I'll tell myself I'm going to fail quite a lot cuz if I believe I'm going to fail yeah. I'll have to overcome it. Yeah. But none of that has any meaning. It's just stuff that comes naturally. It's just like I have to sit there and kind of talk to myself or mouth something to myself as part of that routine. Mm. So it's really just routine. Yeah. No, the same uh, thing with rapping. Sorry to cut you off. Same no, thing no. with rapping knees. If any of you have ever, ever come to, up to me before a set when I'm rapping knees and said something to me, you've probably got the dirtiest look ever. <laughs> and it's not because I'm looking at you and saying like, go fuck off or whatever. It's because I'm so deeply entrenched in that process of like adrenaline turning on uh, that I don't know what the fuck's happening. Or I'm hyper-focused on this. So if I look up, I'm just like still focused on that. Mm. Anyway, sorry. Oh, no, I, I'm the same. I, I, I'm big on just sucking myself like, um, yeah, uh, baiting myself out, just going like, all right, what's it going to be? They said you couldn't do it. So what's it going to be, Siege? That, that's like what, what I say. Um, and James knows that that's what makes me tick too. Like last week, I remember going to James and I'm like, oh, man, this post-COVID fatigue's killing me. And oh, I... I shouldn't train, bro. I shouldn't. And he goes, "It's all right, bro. If you want to quit, you can." And that's all I needed. It didn't matter. Didn't matter how sick I was. I was getting that session done. I always say, I always say, "Oh, that's all good, man. The world needs mediocre people too. <laughs> no stress." See, like, I, I, there's no way I wasn't training that day after you know hearing that. He what? knows. I said it to Meg the other day. Uh, Meg Kimura. She was complaining about how many sets she was doing, and I said, "No, nah, all good. If you want a big total next year, that's sweet." <laughs> Yeah, so that's the kind I of shit it. I say to myself as well. Like, yeah. you always hear me say shit like, it's just, it's like hip hop references I always use, but I always say mm. like, if you're scared, go to church. Yeah. I say it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> no context, I just say it all the time. Yeah. Um, Gitch, thoughts on the USAPL coming I, to Australia? I don't have any. I don't know enough to have an opinion. What about yeah. hype methods? Do you have a hype method? Yes. No, I don't. James is my hype at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, he gets me psyched up. Nice. So. I always hit uh, Gitch with that shit as well. <laughs> Yeah, if you want a big total next year. <laughs> <laughs> next year. <laughs> yeah. All right, one, one more to round it out. Um, this one's from Jeremiah uh, from AMPM. What effects does overshooting your RPEs on a regular basis have on your training? I'll start. The effects it has on your... Uh, what effects does overshooting your RPEs on a regular basis have on your training? Uh, it affects your progression. And you can't spell progression without progress. The only way to progress is not by shooting, overshooting RPEs on a weekly basis. Like what your boy's been doing. <laughs> I've been shooting myself in the foot lately. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, RPE percentage, whatever. If you're, if you're going too heavy all the time, it's hard to get any training momentum because you hit a wall of fatigue. And training and getting better is about doing more than before and you need momentum to, to do that and so like if you're always overshooting you're always fatigued essentially it's just the same as maxing out every week eventually like it's you're not able to build the kind of volumes that you need to build to to drive progress to move forward um one thing that i want to continue to say to the world is get the vocab of overtraining uh out of your vocab like the in in powerlifting we don't overtrain and in lifting weights we generally don't overtrain like overtraining is what marathon runners do when they go too hard we we don't build enough fatigue uh from lifting weights to to get into a point that would consider overtraining so when people mention overtraining and lifting weights all they're saying is that they're just tired and they need a rest they need a deload uh, and that's what happens when you overshoot your your rpes all the time you just build that fatigue too quickly and you can't build any training momentum so you spend more time not getting stronger 
It's like when uh, people say they don't need a deload. Eventually, they just hit a wall. It's like, okay, now I need a deload. Like if we had these uh, planned deloads, uh, you wouldn't hit that wall. You would have been well rested going to each block. You know, that way you can build up momentum with your training. Um, you can go weeks on weeks on weeks, months with good training without having a, you know, do an emergency deload because you feel like shit. Yeah, it's just about averaging over time and we want the, the quality of training on average to be as high as possible. Mm. Awesome. All right, we might leave it there. Thank you so much for listening once more. Catch us next time with our special guest. Uh, Hit us uh, with a five-star review. Write a bit of a review. We'll read it out. We love that stuff. Uh, And we'll catch you next time. Peace. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Zero Podcast. If you want more information, head to our Instagram, zero underscore weakness. Hit the link in the bio for all of our services and any information on upcoming workshops and events. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review so we can have a broader reach and answer more people's questions. Thank you once more.